Welcome to Noise Cutter. Thanks for joining on this episode of the Noise Cutter podcast. I'm here with conflict journalist Danny Gold. Danny, what's up? Hey, how's it going, man? Thanks for having me. No, for sure. Uh, I've been on Twitter and I like scroll and perhaps doom scroll, right? And one of the great takes that I see like are, are Danny's tweets, right? And so one, if you don't follow Danny on Twitter, go do that now, fix that mistake. But um, yeah, I mean, your takes have been really enlightening. And uh, that was a big part of the reason why I was like, hey, you know, um, should definitely have Danny on for one of the first episodes of Noise Cutter. The other thing is Danny produces an incredible podcast with his colleague, Sean Williams, called The Underworld Podcast. It um, did the the funny job of educating me on Indian music, um, specifically the episode on Sid the Musiwala, which I thought was one of the best podcast episodes I've listened to ever, very full side by the story. Thank you, man. Um, but with that all, Danny, why don't you give us like a, a quick, you know, who you are and like what you've been working on and um, how we got here. Yeah, yeah, I am. A, well, I was mostly a journalist for about a decade and I covered mostly war and conflict. Um, you know, I worked for everyone from Vice News. I was one of the people who helped start it to, uh, you know, I've written for magazines like Wired, uh, Sports Illustrated, Esquire, Rolling Stone. I've also done TV stuff for PBS NewsHour. And that was mostly what my career was until the pandemic. In recent years, I've mostly been doing podcasting, like the Underworld podcast and producing a couple other things focused on organized crime. But yeah, you know, this uh, these sort of stories pop off. I don't consider myself really a journalist anymore. I don't even want to be a, a commentator or pundit. I'm just someone who is hopelessly addicted to the toxicity of Twitter and finds myself on there way too much uh, saying things when I probably shouldn't. It's basically where I, where I am right now. Well, so one of the things about that that comment probably shouldn't right is um, it's kind of funny, and we we've had you know offline conversations about this. It's like these are things that maybe we like wouldn't want to have to say, but feel compelled to. Why? Because there's so many people saying the wrong things, and I'll just go out and say it. It's nonsense, right? Like there's a lot of nonsense, and I feel like if the right people would sort of measured and educated views don't say anything what happens we've seen this in 2016 right the nonsense prevails yeah i think there's a there's a temptation there for journalists politicians whoever else that you want to match the atmosphere of of what's happening around you and uh what's happening around you is is like toxic it's impulsive it's vitriolic and you know i had to keep relatively quiet when i was a journalist now I'm, i'm a bit louder um so there's stuff on there that I just feel the need to occasionally call out and point out the hypocrisy of. And uh, it's a dangerous thing to do. You know, I consider myself just, I want everyone to be aware of my biases. Um, you know, I'm Jewish. I grew up in America. I have a decent amount of family in Israel. I have friends in Gaza. I've reported in Gaza during the 2014 war and I had no problem showing what I consider to be, you know, war crimes, uh, things of that nature. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm, I, I still believe in a two state solution. I think that's the only way. And, uh, that's, that's kind of where I'm coming from. You know, Israel has sheltered a lot of my family. Uh, it doesn't mean I support the occupation. I think the occupation is horrendous and a war crime that should have ended yesterday, but I just want people to be aware of where I stand before they hear what I have to say, because, you know, I want them to take everything with a grain of salt. No one ever just TikTok, Twitter, all this Instagram are full of people who have no actual investment in it. And, um, in this situation and don't read books on any of this stuff. Don't study it. Haven't been there and are just 
going with their worst impulses. And I think I'm talking about people on every side. And I think that doesn't benefit anyone in the long run. Like we don't know. So social media has only really been around for in this way. I don't know what, five, 10 years. We don't know the effect that it's actually having. No one knows the effect that it's actually having on this stuff. And I know it's restricted to online, right? But that has implications in the real world. Not always. I mean, if you were online in, in, in 2016, you would have thought that like Bernie Sanders would be president, right? So it doesn't always have sure. real world implications, but I think it does. And I think it gets people riled up to a way. Um, sometimes it's good, right? I, like I think it's good that that more people are speaking out against against the occupation, but I think it also demonizes people. And again, this goes for both sides in a way that feeds this bloodthirsty narrative and doesn't lend itself to any sort of resolution in the future. Yeah, I think that's right, right? I mean, one thing about the Bernie Sanders thing, right, or the the um, lead up to um, the election, right? It's like it, there's the internet has become kind of like nodularized, I guess maybe is the word, or po- it exists in pockets, right? So maybe our pocket of the internet, that was true, right? But then on certain other pockets of the internet that we, you know, for probably good reasons, like don't typically inhabit, uh, the reverse would have been true, right? And it, but like, I think you're right is that perhaps in the digital age, right? Like we see a segmentation of information and therefore a segmentation of thought. And then the discourse becomes people shouting at each other and not actually having a conversation. Right, right. And I think even in the segmentation I'm seeing now, and I think I mostly follow reasonable people um, mm. on all sides, it's just there's a level of toxicity that, you know, few and, and far between for an issue like this. And I can tell you I've reported on it and that stands true and you report on it as well. And uh, yeah, there's just a lot of fake stuff out there that you would think people who, even journalists who do this for a living are getting caught up in, you know, because they have their biases as well. And it's, uh, it's disturbing. Like it, it keeps me up at night. It's definitely very, very concerning. The thing you said about, you know, having reported from Gaza in 2014, that's something I actually didn't know. Um, and it leads me to a question is, you know, you were there on the ground at that time and, you know, you're seeing it now. What's changed and what's different um, and what's notable about the sort of differences there? Yeah, I mean, I think this attack in Israel is um, so 2014, you know, these are it started off with the kidnapping of these three, three Jewish uh, men right. in, in Jerusalem. They were burned alive. Right. They were killed. Uh, it was a horrific attack. There were counterattacks by, by you know, hardline Israelis. And then it led to this conflict that that. I and you know, the Palestinian factions launch rockets. I thought it was unnecessary. The conflict itself. I mean, the, Israel's response was unnecessary. Right. You know, this time when you look at what happened and you actually read about what was just the the sheer numbers alone and what was done to these people, uh, I I I just I don't I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't think there's any. Look, I'm I'm not happy about what's happening in Gaza. I don't think there's any country in the world that would not do anything in return when 1200 civilians were killed and 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 tortured and you know all the stuff that eh, I don't know man it's it's disturbing in a way that that um look I don't have high expectations for people you know I've been around the world I've been in the center of multiple ethnic conflicts but the response that the murder of israeli civilians got look if hamas pij whoever sneaks up on Israeli soldiers, even if it kills them in their bed, that's war. You know, I don't, I'm not going to say I'm in favor of that. I'm not a psychopath, but like that's war. And that's the tactics that that they're left with. And I think that 
it's not okay, but it is what it is. Like that's war. They're fighting a war. Israel's fighting a war against them. But to kill over a thousand civilians, the level of support that that got in terms of people being like, yeah, they they deserved it. People in the West, people I know, like yeah. I've never, yeah. I, I don't have high hopes for people, but I've never seen anything like that. Like even in a conflict like Syria, you would have a hard time finding anyone, even the opposing side that would support the murdering of 1200 civilians. And I'm looking right. at my Instagram. I woke up that Saturday morning. I have a million messages, you know, WhatsApp, family, friends, concern, all this sort of stuff. Mm. And I'm trying to figure out what's on. I open up my Instagram and it's like this rich person that I know talking about like, this is what resistance is. And I, we only find out a day later that the only reason my cousin's kibbutz, she's in her, in her eighties, wasn't slaughtered was because the, there's video, there's video out there. They couldn't get the gate open because they're what's known as Shomer Shabbos. They don't use electricity. That's the only right. reason that she survived. So, you know, once I see something like that, um, I, I mean, it changed something, I think in, yeah. in my head, uh, of just like, look, I've known people have, have hated Israel. Uh, you know, I, look, if you're one of these people who thinks they're, that Israel shouldn't exist, I don't agree with you but you're entitled to your opinion. But when you start being okay with the, the like wanton slaughter of civilians, that is just, that, that, that caught me by surprise. And then the level of support that it continued to get and the justification for it. And yeah. then even now what we're seeing is like the atrocity denial, right? Where there's pictures of the blood and people are like, that's not what blood looks like. And then someone will be like, I work in a morgue. That's exactly what blood looks. It doesn't matter. That is so widespread right now. It's and the whole like decolonization thing. It's insane to me that that this no, is what I mean, what people are. The same people who, you know, were all about words are violence and all that sort of stuff are now like, no, actually, actual violence is okay because we disagree with these people, even though they're women and children. So I'm sorry, I've gone off on a rant, but it's just like, no, it's, I I don't understand how these people. Th that's the thing, you know. This person who posted that. She's, yeah. she's never seen what a bullet does to a body, right? They've never right. smelled the blood right. to, to them. It's all a fucking game. It's all anyway, I'm yeah. going to stop myself and we're going to, we're, no, let's, no, no. let's, let's I, keep I going. Have, I have, I have a difficult question for you, right? Mm -hmm. And it's about this person and people like her, yeah. right? Do you think they're aware internally of the views they're perpetuating or are they lying to themselves? Yeah, I think, look, I don't, I don't know how to, how to rationalize or what's, what's in their hearts or in their minds. Look, I think. People who are pro-Palestine, who are anti-Israel, are like I think a lot of that movement is legitimate, and they care for sure. for Palestinians yeah. and they want equality. Yeah. I think there's also like a not small amount of people who get in there because you know they hate Jews, they have other issues, and it's always been the kind of cause where you can mask yourself in it and get forgiven. You have these internet personalities now who were very supportive of what Russia was doing in Ukraine very right. supportive of what Assad was doing in Syria, right. you know, which included a lot of starvation sieges in Yarmouk of Palestinian communities of, of a lot of, a lot of deaths. And they're able to wrap themselves in the cloak of supporting Palestine. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. Like I said, I think there's, there's a legitimate, I think it's a legitimate cause. Um, sure. Yeah. Some of the stuff, though, like raises red flags for me. I don't think, I don't even think, you know, some people get offended. I think hardline Israeli uh, supporters get offended by free Palestine. I have no problem with that. I think that's legit. Um, you know, I used to 
not have a problem with from the river to the sea because I think it meant freedom for everyone from the river to the sea. Some people that would say that turned around a week and a half ago and were like, no, we actually mean like killing Israelis and getting them out of here. That's what it means. So yeah. I don't know. I, I, I'm not the best analyst. Like, like I said, I have, I have my biases, but um, it's, been, it's been a disturbing couple of weeks. Yeah. I mean, it's been, I mean, disturbing for sure, revelatory as well, right? Like there's a lot of, and so this is the next thing I kind of want to get into with you, which is the, like the discourse in many American liberal circles, including the Black Lives Matter movement, but then also like how that discourse kind of can be a bit, you know, can get a bit perverse, right? Because there's folks that I would never have thought who would support like the NB, you know, applauding, right? The mass murder of civilians. And yeah, talk, talk to me about what you've seen from from that side of things and sort of if you've been surprised, right, by yeah. the reactions of some folks. I, I definitely have. I mean, I don't want to make it about that in general, right? Because it's about sure. a lot more. It's about Palestinian lives. It's about Israeli lives. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, to gloss over that, and some people were trying to be like, oh, why are you talking about this when, um, when what's happening in, in the Middle East is happening? And it's like, there are people marching on American campuses and professors that yeah. are cheering the slaughter of people who I know that are mourning right now. To say that just yeah. because it's it's you know co co college campuses and professors and whatever, it's not why. Like, don't tell me not to be concerned about that. That's insane. Yeah. They, yeah. No one, no one would do that for any other group in this world. Uh, so yeah, like I mean, I'm putting it lightly, but yes, it it bothers me. Um, yeah. You know, part of me isn't super surprised by it. Part of me is because I never thought it would get that far. But it is it is revelatory for sure. You know, yeah. um, I uh, there is, you know, the Black Lives Matter thing. I have uh, like I think it was like local chapters. I don't think it was a uniform thing. So I don't want to attach sure. Sure, sure, a sure. stigma to the entire Black Lives Matter movement. But when sure. you stand for, you know, human rights and all that and and which is a lot of, not just the, these Black Lives Matter chapter, but other people who claim that, right? Again, and these are the same people who say words are violence and mm -hmm. you're putting a power glider up as like your support, right? That's not supporting, that's not supporting Palestinian freedom, right? That's supporting right. the murder of Israelis and, and Jews too, because they murdered a lot of people from all over the world in that. I mean, that was a slaughter. Right. They slaughtered right. people at a party. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, I, I think in a lot of people, uh, it, it definitely showed something and it's not a thing that I think a lot of Jews and Israelis are going to forget. Yeah. Um, one thing I was going to say is the, the incredibly troubling and kind of like hits home thing about that. Uh, the professor, right. Being elated by the violence is that was, that's my alma mater, right? So I went to Cornell and the education system, I think definitely, right. Espouses the sort of moral relativism, discourse, right? That like, it's it's not fair to place our own value judgments on others. What are they to do so in ours? Context obviously matters a, a lot. But then there's always the, the dangers at the extremes, right? And like, you would think that the people charged with the education and development of like impressionable minds would know better, right? And so like, yeah, I don't know, that stuff kind of like really bothers me because it's like, that's an institution that I might one day want to send my own kids to, right? And like, really? Like, yeah, I don't know. Cornell, I think, did a better job. They, they quickly denounced... Um, you know, that, that statement and those videos and whatnot. Um, you know, some of the other institutions I think took a bit more time and had a bit more of a complex relationship with, with yeah. their and, positions and I, on that. Look, I'm not someone who thinks every university has to offer up a, um, 
a statement on this kind of stuff, right? But it's sure. like, yeah, th- that's what they were doing. All like everything was about statements of oppression, all this sort of stuff, and then for them to ignore this and then support people who justify it, uh, yeah. it's it's off putting. Um, but like I said, you know, I don't I don't want to focus too much on the college campus activist issue sort of thing yeah, because yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's um, it's eye opening. You know, I think in a lot of the intersectionality progressive left movement sort of situation Mm -hmm. um jews were never seen as people they needed to really defend unless it was coming from like the far right wing uh you know for and that's you know for a number of reasons because because jews are seen as successful because they're seen as rich because in america you know they like even though there's a lot of poor jews that people completely gloss over they're right. not seen as as being oppressed and they're not oppressed in the same way that a lot of minorities are but to pretend that like sure. there isn't this global history of that or that like it isn't you know walk around as a as a as a visible jew in some cities right. in this and then tell me that like there's no there's no issues you know it just right. it, like it's not like i'm saying there's state supported violence like like my like you know blacks or or latinos face it's not the same right. but right it's definitely not um not all great i'll just put it yeah. that way yeah um let's pivot to i guess the experience of journalists right and so like one of the things that's been kind of like making the rounds on um so on tiktok uh instagram reels youtube and just the, the video platforms in general is this video um you know recently of uh a palestinian activist called rama zain who was at um the rafa border crossing and she has a a back and forth with um clarissa ward right uh, and i want to get to sort of like your, your thoughts on 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 that in a second um just to to kind of go into it so um she starts shouting right at, at clarissa ward and and blaming you know cnn obviously her outlet and the other western outlets for not showing a balanced or uh even-handed scope i would say of coverage over the issues right in in israel and in gaza etc and then the thing that was shocking to me right and i, I follow clarissa on instagram i was looking at her videos and she was like look i have to shut this down for a minute and shut down my comments because i'm getting death threats and i can only read so many death threats about um my children and I found that to be like highly disturbing, but also it's like, look, you know, we live in a, a media savvy world, right? Where like journalism matters perhaps now more than ever, and it's accessible now more than ever to more people than ever. Um, and it's important, right, for us to have, like you were saying at the the top here, right? Um, you know, informed, educated, balanced views um, as much as possible on the issues that are prevailing. Journalists are sort of the core of how we get that, right? Because we can't all be in Gaza, we can't all be in Israel, etc. Um, but as a journalist who's covered this stuff, and having been in Gaza yourself, um, and, and covering lots of like difficult topics, right? you're a conflict journalist. Um, what is that experience like? Yeah, well, you know, I'll say Clarissa is is one of the best journalists uh, in the world. And she's never been the kind of person who has blindly repeated American or American allies or Israeli statements. You know, she, she's taking a lot of risks and she's great at what she does. And it's really unfair to put this on her. Um, but this is one of those conflicts. And there's a few others where the level of toxicity that you get from both sides is unparalleled. Mm. Uh, it is nothing like I've experienced before, no matter what you do, no matter how impartial you are, you're going to get it from from every side. 
And uh, there's very little you can do in your actual reporting to to make up for that. But it's like, I don't know. You know, I would say 20 years ago, there would be that sort of case about about the mainstream media and, and neglecting Palestinian stories. I don't think that's the case now. Uh, you know, I look at the New York Times where, uh, and this is a perfect encapsulation of of this issue where, mm-hmm. you know, people I know who are right-wing pro-Israel types think it's a extremely anti-Semitic newspaper. People I know who are very yeah. pro-Palestine think it's a very anti-Palestinian newspaper. And mm-hmm. that's just the case with this. I mean, if you look at um, screw-ups with this story, I, I don't think there's a bigger one than the hospital situation. I think the beheaded babies thing was something that did it didn't get too much print, I think, in 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 big media or whatever. It, it, like if you watch the actual thing of how it shifted, it was a lot of online activists that ran with it. When the woman herself wasn't even saying that, the reporter who said it, I think that was definitely a fuck up for sure. But then of course mm-hmm. we've seen reports come out in the last couple of days from the people who did the ops, autopsies, from the rescuers that were like, yeah, they 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 not forty, but yes, babies were beheaded, but people were burned alive. Like horrific mm-hmm. shit happened. The hospital mm-hmm. thing, I, like I was shocked at how bad that journalism was and the fact that it yeah, got major play and all. Yeah. it's it's insane to me yeah, um yeah. because there's no putting that back in the in the toothpaste right there's there you can't put that back right and right look the the idf lies right we know that they they've lied about things before sure. um but hamas lies about everything too like there i i've yeah. been in gaza you know the, you cannot report the truth and stay in gaza if that's what you're looking to do uh, it's not, it's the, it's not possible. You know, you will get your yeah. fixer, your local Gazans you're working with, you will get them in serious trouble. You know, there's a, yeah. in 2014, when I was there, there was an, uh, an Indian TV crew, NDTV that was able mm-hmm. to film Hamas launching rockets. They were mm-hmm. only able to publish that when they left because they know if they did, which isn't even anything egregious, right? It's just showing them like how their rocket crews work. They would have yeah. been kicked out and their local fixer which the person local journalist that usually helps you would have been in, in a lot of trouble so mm-hmm. what i'm trying to say is both sides in this lie uh a lot but to run with it was pretty obvious from seeing it even when it was happening that it wasn't 500 i mean we we can you the point is that it was it was like a complete dereliction of duty and yeah. uh I'm, I'm pretty ashamed of the industry itself for what happens yeah and that was one that was, um, I mean, if we want to talk about the, the hospital blast, I mean, so I, I write a, a Substack uh, and I wrote an issue. It was simply an exercise of logic and ethics, right? So there are two statements. Um, there was a blast at a hospital in Gaza, statement number one. Uh, Palestinian officials, Hamas, has accused uh, the IDF of uh, bombing the hospital, of causing the blast, right? So... These statements are both true. The blast, there was a blast at the hospital, and the officials did accuse the IDF. True and true. However, one is true top to bottom, right? The blast that occurred, the factum of it is, yes, there's a blast, there's a crater, there's bodies, there's damage, etc. The second is a truth about an accusation. But in, in like a courtroom setting, we would call this kind of like hearsay, right? Like uh, you can offer it for the fact that the, that the statement was made, right? Sure. But you can't offer it for the truth of it, right? For the truth of the matter asserted. Um, which is to say that just because they said it doesn't make it true. Um, however, right? So, like, you can still report on both things, but I think the headline, the the crux of the story, is the former, right? That a blast occurred and there was a tragedy, and you know some of the stuff that Ramazan was saying to Clarissa Ward is like, look, 
you know, Palestinian babies were also killed, right? Where where are the photographs of them? Where are the and again, I think there's a, a that's a bit of an fairness, right? Because it's much harder to get that information. It's much harder to access. Well, but also just to, I don't mean to cut you off, yeah, but no, go um, for it, go for it. there's a lot of people online right now who are saying yeah. that Israeli babies weren't killed, right? They're in yeah, complete yeah, denial. Yeah. We The pictures yeah. are out there, right? The photos are out there and you can see the response that people post on Instagram or on Twitter. They're, they're, first it was, you know, this is good. Then it was, okay, it was justified. And now it's that it didn't happen. It's, it's insane. You know, so, the, the, a couple of those pictures of blood going around, people are like, that's not what blood looks like. And you don't know what blood looks like. Get the fuck so, out of right. here. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, that, that, that sort of stuff is also kind of nuts, right? And so yeah. th- that sort of circles back to what I was saying earlier about, like, do you think these people are actually – do they think they're, they've become, like, uh, what is it, pathologists all of a sudden? Or, like, do you think they've, like – do you think they actually think that they know what blood looks like and they're just deluding themselves? Or do you think they're actually disingenuous and saying, of course, I don't know what blood looks like, but I'm just going to say this shit because it's what I want to say? I think it's what they want to say, but I also think they've just, you know, the, the online culture of the last like five, six, seven years has made it so like anything even remotely having to do with Israel and to a lesser degree Jews is like lies, right? It's not true. It's made up. It's manipulation. Um, it's, you know, it's a, it's a constant thing in the, in the Middle East that Israel is like this all seeing, all knowing, all manipulating entity. When yeah. it's a lot more incompetent than, and as we can clearly see, than people want to give it credit for. But it's like, you know, everything is is their fault, everything they've done. And that's kind of like what we're seeing here, right? Where it's like, um, you know, the babies aren't actually dead. There was no thing. The Israelis themselves killed all those people. Like, it's it's insane. I think some of these people do actually believe it. I think a lot of them are just in these, like, sort of in circles online where that's what you have to say. But, yeah. uh I mean, this is and this is like English language, like American Twitter, right? Imagine how yeah. bad it is in the rest of the world. Yeah, no, I mean, so so I, I hear what you're saying about um, the perception of the like omnipotence and the omniscience of of Mossad, right? I mean, I think they've done a lot, and perhaps this is to their own by their own design, right, to create right. this image of create themselves, the right? As, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But if so, there's a book. I don't know if, if you've read it or if you've, you've met this person because he's a very prominent Israeli journalist. Maybe you have. Is a book by Ronan Bergman. Called Rise and Kill First. Yeah, yeah, I've read Rise it. Rise and Kill First. Yeah, read it. yeah. So I mean, I think that uh, look, I one can always speculate as to whether or not um, things are truly a balanced take or not. But I think he does provide, at least in my you know whatever um, opinion, uh, a fairly balanced take, both the successes and also the like incompetent failures of the Mossad. Yeah. Right, but really paints a picture of like this is an organization like any other that's just trying to do what it's chartered to do for its citizens. And sometimes they do it really well and sometimes they don't. But um, it certainly counters the narrative that like, yeah, look, the Mossad is in you know our podcast room right now and they're watching us do this, right? Right, like, right. right. <laughs> um, so one of the things, and I guess like social media being the force, I don't want to say dominant force, but like certainly a large force in media today, it platforms people that maybe shouldn't have platforms and it really gives um, sucker, I would say, to charlatans, right? Um, and so one of the things that's been kind of making the rounds on uh, Twitter, etc., is a claim by um, a figure um, by the name of Sean King that he had something to do with uh, the negotiation and the release of the two American hostages that occurred recently by Hamas. Um and I saw Danny tweets on this stuff, and I was like, "This is something I want to talk about." I knew we were going to have this conversation. 
And um, I guess, yeah, and take it away. What's the what's going on? Yeah, so Sean King was an activist or is an activist who got his start really in Black Lives Matter. And, um, you know, he got a lot of attention, I think did some initial good work. But then it started being revealed as the years passed that he was, you know, he did a lot of fundraising and all this. And there were a lot of accusations that he was stealing, uh, stealing money, never donating the fundraising that he got. Uh, and it's not, you know, this uh -huh. was a thing where you had a lot of black activists sort of accusing him of this stuff, right? It wasn't a thing where you had like Fox News saying it, right? Right. Um, just fraud after fraud, saying he's going to do something, raising money, then not doing it. And uh, I guess he's still very popular on Instagram and he's glommed onto Israel, Palestine as like his next thing. Uh, and he's been pretty, I mean, he's one of those people that posts in a way that it's intended to rile people up um, in a non-beneficial way. I okay. think he's like sowing the seeds of tons of hate, running with stuff that's obviously fake, um, but just nonstop. And then he had posted that he was friends with the family that was abducted and released, that he was in contact with them, and that he was working behind the scenes to help free them and with a, with a ceasefire, which is like an obviously nonsense nonsense thing yeah. and this is you know yeah. like i said there's a lot of good people in the free palestine movement but it gets glommed onto by bad actors who see it as cover for for you know the stuff that they've done before and uh it got out it got into israel and it caused like this controversy there were conspiracy theories and then the family themselves the family of the of the abducted had to clarify and be like we don't know who this person is we've <laughs> never met him nothing he's saying is true and the idea that any sort of activists in the US would be involved in high level negotiations between Hamas, uh, Qatar, the Israelis is, is frankly completely insane. Um, yeah. You got to admire the balls on someone who's willing to even attempt to frame that like they were involved. Like it's, it's insane. You know, this is the kind of stuff that, that heads of state are involved in, not yeah. some guy with 4 million Instagram followers who has never been to the Middle East before. It's insane. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's one thing that I think everyone on every side can agree on is that this guy's just a fraudulent, uh, you know, it, it would be hilarious if it wasn't so depressing. Awful. Yeah. Yeah. And he's trying, to, he's trying to raise money on it too. He's like posting on Instagram for, for uh, people to follow him now and pay a subscription so he can keep raising money off this. And it's, it's just like people who glom onto this issue solely as a means of like generating clout or you know, advancing their careers or, or, or making money don't care about the actual people on the ground. Yeah. Like, do not care. And you can see much more measure statements from, you know, Palestinians and Israelis about what's happening and what's going on. Uh, you know, it's one of these things where people in the West, and again, I'm saying this for all sides are far more vitriolic, uh, yeah. and just downright shitty and they don't do anyone any favors. They don't, they, they only make it more intractable. And that's the scary thing is that that's what young people are being raised on, right? That's where none of these yeah. people read books on these subjects. Yeah. None of them talk yeah. to anyone in the, in the area. They're just going after the most anger inducing rage baiting stuff. And that's where people are getting their news on TikTok, on Instagram, on Twitter. There's no fact checking. Um, there's, there's just no, it's, it's scary where we're going to be at in 20 years when this generation is being, is getting all their information from online propagandists. Yeah. No, I mean, so that's, we talked about this offline, like I guess before we started recording, but like that's why I started 
this podcast, right? And maybe it's a bit hubristic to think that I'll make any kind of a difference here, right? But like it's calling out nonsense and specifically in an era where digital media can platform or you know offers a platform to basically anybody who wants it, um, you know, zealotry sells more than factuality, right? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. And Common- that's... Why, why, like, why be rational and have common sense and actually want yeah. to improve things when you can scream and yell and and uh, yeah. and that's I mean that isn't this isn't just this issue this is podcasts streamers Twitch yeah. all that yeah. like um, there are very few reasonable voices that that don't actively contribute to making things worse yeah yeah no I mean so the the thing you said about reading books is again like you know. I'm a fucking nerd. So like, maybe that's my bias for agreeing with you, but I think that's right. Right. Like that's incredibly important. I think the thing to do here, right. is to offer people a reading list. Right. Um, and I've done this on Instagram. Again, I have like two followers. So who gives a shit. Right. But like <laughs> you had some recommendations, uh, for books and I had some as well. Um, do you want to offer yours and then I'll offer mine. But so yeah, also I, mean, the thing I... I will say, um, yeah. Hang on one second. The thing I will yeah. say, okay, so if you're not somebody who likes to read books as well, I read shit for, for work. That's my job, right? So I listen to audiobooks. I'm not going to like shout out companies that do this, but like we all know them. A lot of these books that I think um, that Danny and I are about to, to mention are available on audiobooks, right? And so like when you're not listening to the Underworld podcast, you can listen <laughs> to uh, some of these books on on uh, some of those platforms. But yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, Simon Montefiore's uh it's a book called Jerusalem. I forget Simon Sibag Montefiore, S-E-B-A-G. It's a book called Jerusalem, and it's like a it's the history of Jerusalem basically going back thousands of years. But um I think it's a really good it's it's first of all, it's written like it's a movie. It's fantastic. Uh I love the mm. stuff that goes back a couple thousand years. But I think it's a really good primer um on this issue. And I haven't, you know, I haven't kept up with my reading on this subject because I just found it such a i don't know hopeless like heated debate that i wasn't it wasn't something where i'm like i'm gonna dive into it because just reading about it depresses me um yeah i actually recently read amos alan's jerusalem which i thought was great i think it was written in the 80s or maybe Mm -hmm. even in the 90s so a little before everything else and then i actually just bought i haven't read it in in years so i i don't maybe i read it 20 years ago um i don't even know when was it first published? It might have been 15 years ago. But uh Benny Morris's 1948. No, it was right. less. It was 15 years ago, maybe. Um, mm. which I think is is supposed to be one of the best books about about 1948. But um yeah, you know, there's uh I mean authors have their biases too, and people should be aware of that. I think one of the things mm-hmm. I always like to do when I read a book that's really convincing that's nonfiction is I'll Google criticism of it. Right. Um because it's very easy to make your case. Like any documentary book, it's very easy to make your case and choose the stuff that you want to choose. And I think people do that. People do that with the news all the time. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, so so just be aware of that. I mean, it, I wish I could give concrete answers about who was right and who wasn't, but I can't. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, from, from my perspective, I think like I... Um, I read a lot about terrorism, the history of terrorism, just trying to understand, um, you know, terrorism itself as a as a phenomenon, right? And that I'm not limited, I guess, to um, the Israel-Palestine conflict, but also like more broadly. But um, I'll save those recommendations, the the ones more broadly, for somewhere else. Um, here, and I talked about like perceptions of the Mossad, and um, you know whether 
uh, by their own design or just by media coverage of things that they've done, there's this perception of Israel and of the Mossad of being this like omniscient, omnipotent, like indefatigable force, right? That just knows and everything and can do whatever it wants. Um, and I read a book recently that um, you'll listen to rather um, that provided a balanced perspective on um, the Israeli intelligence services, um, the Mossad specifically, but also to a lesser extent, um, Shabak and Amman. Um, and the book is called Rise and Kill First by a journalist called Ronan Bergman. Um, um, but so that book was great. Um, and I'll link all these books in the show notes here, uh, both Dana's recommendations and myself. But um, yeah, I mean, I guess the main thing is if you're listening to this episode, you're clearly like interested in this topic area. Um, from both of us, I think the advice is um, don't just listen to us or to Twitter or anything else, but a, a read a book or two or ten. Um, Jonathan Shanzer's Hamas vs. Fatah is um, it's the subtitle of that is The Struggle for Palestine. And it gives you sort of um, an interesting perspective on like how we got to <clears throat> Hamas's rule of Gaza today uh, and really a history of the Palestinian struggle. Um, so another one, and I guess finally on, on this topic is, um, it's not directly about, um, Gaza or Hamas, but it, it gives you a generous amount of context about regional politics. Um, uh, the book's called Beirut Rules and it's by, uh, Sammy Lumcats and Fred Burton. Um, and it centers on, uh, the murder of William Buckley, uh, the CIA station chief in, in Lebanon. But uh, it does much more than that, and it gives you, I would say, a very interesting historical perspective on uh, terrorism and, and regional politics in specifically Lebanon, but in that area of the Middle East as well. Um, yeah, cool. Um, so, and now I guess turning to a topic that um, I try to read and learn as much as I can about any given issue, but there's just some stuff that like I won't have time for, won't be able to access. And that's a big reason why having guests on a podcast like this and having them give um, the stuff that they're exposed to and that they uh, look at more closely, um, the light, right? And so um, what I'm talking about here specifically is what reactions and perspectives are um, in Israel and in Israeli media um, and generally about the latest run of events from the Netanyahu-led government and, um, you know, yeah, context around that, uh, that we might not get watching, you know, American media. Yeah. I mean, I can't speak to, to being an expert on that. You know, I talk to, to family members that are there, uh, cousins, things like that. And I read Israeli media here and there. Um, you know, a lot of, I think, people had this wrong impression that during a war like this, they'd rally around the government, but, but no, mm -hmm. I mean, they're, the country itself is rallying and supporting itself, but they hate the government. And this is like, this is the worst security failure I think the country's ever had, because at least in 73, yeah. they weren't as technologically efficient or, or, you know, advanced as they are right now. So yeah. people want blood. Like they, they just want the government, blood of the government. Like they want, they want Netanyahu out they want his party out they feel abandoned they feel like it's incompetent it's a disaster even four or five months ago or three months ago whatever it was when these protests started there were warnings there were articles written about how he's dismantling the security apparatus through through mm -hmm. whatever he was appointing you know um 
friends or, or people that were kissing his ass that weren't qualified that were, he was paralyzing basically the country's ability to defend itself. And that mm-hmm. came true. And Israelis mm-hmm. do not forgive people who, you know, uh, who, who get their children murdered. Yeah. Like they yeah. will not, I mean, it, you know, it's in the middle of a war right now, so I don't think you'll see him, him out. Uh, but like they are furious with the government. I don't think I've ever yeah. seen this much anger. When digging into exactly how the attack unfolded, right? Um, cause I mean, in America we have this big quote unquote border crisis, right? Um, it's, it's, it's actually kind of shocking how people tried to co-opt the, the Gaza story into supposedly Hamas and <laughs> infiltrating Texas. Um, but, That's stupid. but you know, it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's another ridiculous take that I'm just like, no, I want to like break my desk with my forehead when I hear shit like that. Um, but you know, look the the Gaza border security. I mean, as has been shown plain as day, um, is one uh, vital right for security, um, and two uh, not as secure as people thought, right? But when you like, I don't know if you saw you saw like how there was a breakdown in the Washington Post about like how the attack unfolded, and they used drones to disable cameras and um automated machine gun turrets and then used a a bulldozer to like ram the fence through and it's like i don't know man right but like if if you wargamed this stuff out right neither of us are are, you know soldiers right but like or defense experts but like you would think that a government that prioritizes and like platforms itself on being like yeah we we are the providers of the most security for israel right which i think was like a part of like netanyahu's kind of platform um, to have a failure exist, and mind you, I don't think they necessarily oversaw the like construction and setup of the Gaza border, you know, defenses. But certainly, they they were under their control um, at this time, right? And it's like, how did an attack that was when you look at it, it's kind of rudimentary, right? And kind of like using commercially available technology in an environment where like you can't even always get commercially available technology, right? Like Hamas doesn't have like the greatest of supply lines, and how they were able to do this, and then you look at like. You know, I can only imagine, and this is just, you know, my kind of umbrage as not being an Israeli, being like a, a passive onlooker. I can only imagine what people in Israel are looking at this stuff now and thinking like, we let, what happened? How? Yeah. yeah. I mean, they see it as a break, complete breakdown of military intelligence and the government. They're, they're absolutely yeah. furious. Like this should never have been able to happen. They feel abandoned, yeah. I think, and, um, and left to themselves. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess to, to kind of like get towards the end of this is like, you know, what do you think that, like, what do you want people to know and what do you want people to think about and what do you want people to question when they see coverage? Cause this, this story is, I mean, I shouldn't even call it a story. This, this event about which there will be stories um, is not even close to over. Right. I just wouldn't, wouldn't don't get your, don't see anything, anything on TikTok, on Instagram, on Twitter, do not buy into it. Like, you know, look stuff. I, I still trust, even though I think media completely screwed up, I still would rather trust the New York Times, um, yeah. you know, or the Wall Street Journal or CNN than yeah. anything I would ever see on on social media because it's all just, I mean, that goes for pretty much every story. Yeah. Um, but I, like, I, I just, I don't know. I mean, these are, they, when it comes down to it, it's not about people yelling at each other online or, or in the West, you know, there's, there's people that this actually affects. Yeah. And you might not know it. Uh, like, you know, the person I knew who was posting that stuff, but people that you might know here have family, both in Gaza and in Israel. So yeah. just be, um, 
be conscientious of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I think there's, that's honestly the, it, it, it's funny. Cause I hear, I hear you say that and I echo it. Right. Um, I think the biggest challenge is how do we get that through the heads of people whose heads that's not already through. Right. Like I think there's people who do take a view of, you know, open source intelligence or like, you know, social media takes by people that might not have the appropriate gravitas to be making those takes or giving those takes. Right. Um, and there's people who already view that with skepticism. And then there's people who like buy it wholesale and retweet it. And, you know, sometimes perniciously and sometimes, or like with, with intent and sometimes because they're, you know, the so-called useful idiot, um, accessing those people and like kind of shaking them is sort of like the, the thing that I struggle with thinking about how one would even try to do, but you know, Two guys on a podcast. I don't think we're going to solve that. <laughs> Maybe if we had another hour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this conversation has been real. Um, yeah. And look, man, uh, this has been great. And I would hope to have you back on on for for other stuff as, as things go on. Um, and if folks out there listening, if you haven't checked out um, Danny and his colleague Sean's uh, podcast, The Underworld, um, one of the things I tell... Um, my wife and myself, especially, right, is it's it's important to like even when there's a story that's so captivating, is to kind of unplug and watch and listen to other shit, just so like you don't get sucked in, right? Because being too sucked into to anything is perilous for objectivity. And um, look, uh, Danny didn't ask me to make this plug, but I found his podcast to be great because it is about stuff that is one not stuff you might necessarily be thinking about, right? Unless you think about organized crime in various corners of the world. <laughs> but um, it's super interesting and it, it encourages critical thinking, but also on a topic that is not, you know, generally in the headlines right now, right? And so it's a, it's a good disconnect. A yeah, little, little um, more fun than, than Israel-Palestine. Yeah. Yeah. Right. What do you guys have? Uh, can you can you preview stuff you have coming up next or is that staying bar uh, I mean, I'm doing some... some um, you know, some stuff that some, some Canada, Vancouver gang war stuff. Uh, I would say that we, we've done, we've done Israeli mafia stories. We've done, um, Arab organized crime in Israel proper. Uh, I think we did an episode on each one of those. So that's definitely out there somewhere. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's generally what our, what our topics are. Sean's got something on, uh, Chechnyan gangsters. I think a part three for something he's been working on coming up, you know, stuff like that. I mean, I've kind of, it's kind of, uh, we're playing catch up right now because I think all of us have been, um, glued to the news and our phones, unfortunately the past two weeks, but yeah, good stuff. Good stuff coming up. The underworld podcast, anywhere you get podcasts. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for having me. No, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Um, it's been real and, uh, yeah, guys, uh, hopefully this has been fun and interesting and, uh, you know, we'll have more episodes like this, um, on noise cutter coming up pretty soon. Uh, all right. Until next time. The Noise Cutter Podcast is a production of Titan Gray, LLC, and is hosted by me, Rex Chatterjee. If you found our podcast helpful and want to say thanks, please head over to your favorite podcast app, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever else, and give us a review, leave a comment, and hit that follow or subscribe button to stay up to date on the latest. For more about our guests or this episode, head over to our website, noisecutterpodcast.com, where you'll find contact info for our guests as well as links to some of the things we talked about on this episode. If you want to reach us directly, 
just send an email to info at noisecutterpodcast.com. This recording is a copyright of Titan Grey, LLC, with all rights reserved. This podcast may be construed as attorney advertising, and prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as legal advice, and your listening to this podcast or contacting us about it does not form an attorney-client relationship. No affiliation or relationship, including an attorney-client relationship, exists between us and our guests unless otherwise stated. For full terms of use, please visit our website at noisecutterpodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time, here at Noisecutter.